Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. morning, Ritman Grace Brethren Church. Hope everybody is having a nice weekend, a dry weekend, hopefully. Uh, hopefully everybody's enjoying going back to school. I know that's something everybody looks forward to. So my name is Clark and I'm the pastor here. If we've never met, uh, feel free to stick around in the lobby afterwards and hang out. I'd love to meet you and I'd love to meet your family. And uh, for those of us that we have met, I'd love just to chat with you a little bit, just see what's been going on in your world lately. So feel free to stick around. Uh, Well, whether you're a guest today or whether you've been attending for quite some time, uh, as you can tell uh, from the screen behind me, we're going to start a brand new series called Know Your Enemy. And I just want to encourage you, as I always try to, to lock in with us. This is going to be a six-week study that we're going to be starting today. So lock in today and the ensuing weeks to come. I believe this is going to be uh, one of those sermon series that are going to be a lot more practical than at face value. Uh, which dovetails nicely into the topic of our series, Knowing Your Enemy. We're talking about uh, spiritual warfare, uh, demonic opposition, right? Some of the, our favorite stuff to talk about, right? But here's the reality. Uh, I understand that maybe for some of us, maybe some watching online, maybe some here this morning, uh, you may not be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're investigating the truths of Christianity. And let me just say this, when, when a person truly comes to know God, uh, someone comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we enter into a life of struggle. I don't know if anybody ever told you this, but life as a Christian is not easy. It actually gets harder. Uh, it's a life of struggle. It's a life of conflict. And knowing God brings us conflict with ourselves because there's what the Bible calls indwelling sin. And then there's darkness that lingers in our hearts. So we fight the battle of righteousness within ourselves, knowing God puts us at odds with also the world around us because we live in a, with a different set of values and conviction. And then knowing God also puts us at odds with the spiritual forces of evil. There's a cosmic struggle going on that we oftentimes don't see and we don't appreciate fully. So to put it simply, Life as a Christian is a battle and a struggle against evil. We fight against the evil within us. We fight against the evil around us. And we fight against the evil beyond us. So it's true that knowing God brings us into a life of struggle and tension and conflict. But here's the reality. If we're going to live life as God's people, we need to understand and be prepared to fight successfully. We have to know how to engage the fight that we're in in a successful way. So this week, we begin this six-week series called Know Your Enemy, and we're going to talk about the enemies that we fight in the battle of walking with God and knowing God and being God's people. And as a crash, a classic Christian theology, if you read the works of Thomas Aquinas or any information about the Council of Trent and classic Christian theology, it shows us that Christians 
generally faced three enemies. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. But Christian would face three enemies. Number one, the world. Secondly, the flesh. And then thirdly, the devil. So in general, we're going to look at those three enemies together. We're going to get precise and defining. When we say the world, does that mean we're against everything in the world? What does that mean exactly? What is the flesh? What is the devil? How are we to understand these things? And how do we learn to fight each of these enemies? So we're almost going to approach this series like military intelligence. We're going to do sort of an enemy strategic reconnaissance. In other words, in the first week of each section, we're going to look at a broad scale realities of this particular enemy. In other words, uh, think of it this way. If we were to do sort of a 30,000 foot flyover aerial photography of this particular enemy, how does this enemy work and function is the question we want to ask. How does it organize itself? What are its unique battle plans? And then in the second week of each topic, what I'd like to do is I want to get down at more of a ground level. And I want to ask, what does it actually look like when we are brought face to face with this particular enemy? What do we need to know in order to engage that battle well? So six weeks on knowing three enemies that we have as God's people, the world, the flesh, the devil. And I want to lock in your mind and bring to your attention as we begin this series, a quote from the great 17th century Puritan John Owen. And I want you to just listen to how he describes the importance of knowing your enemy. Listen to what he says. One of the choicest and most eminent parts of practical spiritual wisdom consists in finding out the subtleties, policies, and depths of any indwelling sin. To consider and know wherein its great strength lies, what advantage it uses to make of occasions, opportunities, temptations. What are its pleas, pretenses, reasonings? What are its stratagems, colors, excuses? To trace the serpent in all of its turnings and windings, and so to be always in readiness is a good part of our warfare. So did you catch what he's saying? Uh, John Owen, he's saying, look, just practical spiritual wisdom. If you want to be wise, a wise person spiritually, it demands that you pay attention to how sin gets a hold of you, to how temptation works in your life, to the particular strategies and opportunities that confront you, to trace the serpent and all of its turnings and whinings so that we can always be in readiness. That's a good part of our warfare, John Owen says. So we want to take six weeks to just begin to examine how we can do a better job knowing our enemy so we can live wisely. So as we begin this week talking about probably the most controversial of those three enemies, which is the devil. And so before we open our Bibles, we have to do a little bit of background work. Because let's be honest, we are modern Western people. And as modern Western people we have a really hard time believing in the devil. Modern Western people tend to be scientific. We tend to be naturalists. So we believe that everything has a natural cause and everything generally has a scientific explanation. And so we tend to abandon any belief in the supernatural. We tend to abandon 
things that are not natural and scientifically explainable. So for me to just get up here and say, hey, we're going to talk about the devil this morning, some of you guys are just going to have a hard time with that. There's just something in us that says, ah, oh, the devil? I don't know, maybe. I actually had a buddy that I worked with in uh, music retail sales, and we were grabbing lunch together one day. And he said, Clark, I understand you're a Christian, but I have to tell you, what, what, kind of get, what I get hung up on is this whole idea about the devil. This guy with the, with the tail, with the pointy end, and the staff. And I just don't believe that there's a hell. And so that's how we often approach this topic. We sort of want to retain some sense of believing in the devil in some sort of mystical or folk religion way. But to say that there really is a being called the devil, that's challenging for a lot of people in the West. And so if you're listening to the sermon this morning, if you're finding yourself somewhat skeptical, having a hard time believing in the reality of the supernatural evil, I want to start this morning by challenging you with three questions. I want to encourage you to doubt your doubts for a moment. I want to encourage you to doubt your doubts. If you're skeptical, if you find yourself having a hard time believing in the reality of the devil, here's the first question I would ask. Could it be, is it possible that we are culturally narrow? Could it be that we're culturally narrow? There's lots of cultures in the world where the belief in supernatural evil, spiritual evil, is not unusual at all. It takes no special work to really actually believe that that exists. There's many cultures in Asia, in Africa, in Latin America, where the reality of supernatural evil is taken for granted. So could it be that, that we're culturally narrow? Maybe we, of all people, on the globe are most educated, sophisticated. We've moved beyond the primitive convictions of other cultures. Or maybe, maybe, perhaps there's wisdom in other cultures that we need to learn to listen to. Maybe we're the ones that are culturally narrow. So if you're skeptical, I would ask you, I would ask you that. I'd also ask number two, if you're skeptical about the devil, could it be that we're philosophically simple? Here's what I mean by that. If you're really going to be a good scientific naturalist, then you have to say that every expression of human evil, everything that people do that's bad or detrimental to society is ultimately either the result of psychological factors, sociological factors, lack of education, or poor family environment. There's some completely natural explanation for every experience of evil is basically the stance that you have to have. And that works well in some cases, but here's the thing. It doesn't work well when you consider evil like the Holocaust. It doesn't work well when you consider evil like genocide, like ethnic cleansing. If we consider the most dramatic expressions of human evil that we've seen in our time, we have to acknowledge that there's something more sinister there. There's a deeper and a more robust evil at work than we acknowledge through actual explanations, right? This is sort of this naturalist way of explaining away evil does not do justice to the depth and the pervasiveness of evil that we actually see in the world. 
So could it be that your understanding of evil is philosophically simplistic? That your view of evil is not robust enough and complex enough to account for what we actually see? Thirdly, if you're skeptical about the devil, could it be that we're personally naive? Could it be that we're personally naive? Here's what I mean by that. If there is a devil and you don't believe that he actually exists, then he's already beat you, right? I mean, the fact that you don't believe that he exists allows him to do whatever it is that he does in complete oblivion. You're not even aware. So could it be that there's a naiveness in assuming that the devil doesn't exist? That perhaps it might actually be wise to step back and to doubt your doubts. To examine whether there might be, in fact, spiritual, supernatural evil in the world that you need to reckon with. Uh, the great British writer and thinker C.S. Lewis, he wrote a fascinating book called The Screwtape Letters. And uh, he takes very seriously the reality of the devil. Listen to what he says in the introduction of that book. He says this, There's two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Nobody can quite say it like C.S. Lewis can, but he's right, isn't he? There's two equal and opposite errors. In one camp, we have nothing is the devil. And on the other camp, we have everything is the devil. Which kind of reminds me of the movie The Water Boy. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but the mom is always saying that football is the devil. She just says everything is the devil. Either one of those is overly simplistic, though, and it fails to reckon with the reality. Some people fall into this first camp. Some people fall into the second camp. They would say there's no possibility of supernatural evil existing. But if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you to heed to the wisdom of C.S. Lewis this morning. See, the Bible is not mystical when it approaches this subject. It doesn't approach the reality of supernatural evil in some sort of mystical and ethereal way. It's actually very common sense. The Bible just says, look, the reality is there is a devil, there are demons, there is spiritual evil in the world, and we need to know and we need to reckon with that. And we need to have, uh, want to have any hope of wisely and intelligently fighting evil in ourselves and in the world. Otherwise, our understanding of evil will be way too reductionistic and simplistic, and it won't do justice to the reality that it actually exists. So we need to listen to the Bible's wisdom on this subject. So having said that, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, I want to look at three things with you this morning, three observations that I want you to notice in this passage that uh, Dan read earlier. And the first one is the schemes of the enemy. Secondly, I want to look at the strength of the enemy. And then thirdly, I want to look together at how to stand against the enemy. The schemes of the enemy, the strength of the enemy, and how to stand against the enemy. First notice the schemes. Look at verse 11. The Apostle Paul says, Put on the full armor of God, 
so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, I want you to notice that word, schemes. Uh, this is a really interesting word. If you shove that back into the original Greek language, you're going to get this word, methodia, which is likely where we get our English word, method, from. It's a word that literally means cunning or craftiness. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible translates it, the wiles of the devil, which kind of makes me think of Wile E. Coyote. But that's a different character example. But the devil is actually wily. We tend to be very naive when we think about spiritual warfare. And so the Bible here is calling us to recognize the cunning nature of the devil. Because here's what we tend to think a lot of times. If your head is spinning around, right, you can green soup, strange voices coming out of you, then maybe that's Satan. But otherwise, we think probably not. We tend to think that way. But what the Bible wants us to see this morning is, look, Satan is much craftier than that. Satan practices guerrilla warfare. He's wily, he's wise, he's clever, he is strategic, and he's shrewd. And here's one way that that plays out. If you've ever talked to people from other cultures long enough, they'll often tell a short, bizarre story about overt expressions of spiritual warfare and demonic activity. And we oftentimes wonder, if there really is a devil and that stuff really happens, how come it never happens in my zip code? How come that's few and far between in our experience? Doesn't that prove right there that that stuff doesn't really happen? Doesn't that prove that it's just some weird superstitions of other cultures? And I would say no. The reason that stuff doesn't happen here is because Satan is he's cunning and he's clever. Think about it. If that happened to you, then it might actually convince you of the reality of the spiritual world, which might actually drive you towards God. Satan is smarter than that. Satan knows that his best strategy in the United States of America is to let the philosophy professors keep teaching and to let the atheist keep on writing articles and blogs. Why? To let your skepticism keep on growing. He's clever and he's cunning, the enemy. And he knows how to use your cultural assumptions against you. The Bible warns you this morning to know your enemy. Don't have a simplistic view of how the devil works. Know that he is scheming. Know that he's crafty. Know that he is shrewd. Be aware of the schemes of the enemy. I want you to notice, secondly, the strength of the enemy. We talked about the schemes of the enemy. Now look at the strength of the enemy. Look at verse 12 with me. Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So listen, that doesn't mean that no evil is flesh and blood. Much of the evil that we encounter in our world is flesh and blood. Brutal dictators, abusive husbands, those are actual people. They are flesh and blood. The Bible is not saying here that that kind of evil does not exist. It's saying that anytime we encounter real flesh and blood manifestations of evil and wickedness, behind that and beyond that, there is a deeper spiritual reality. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but with the deeper underlying spiritual forces that lie behind the more visible evil that we see on the surface. 
So listen to me, you have to get this. This truth is what allows you as a Christian to fight people without de- with, to fight uh, people without demonizing people. If you don't understand spiritual evil, what you'll end up doing is demonizing people. You'll end up demonizing the people that you disagree with because they will become the enemy. But Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is telling us, he's telling you, he's telling me, he's telling all of us that your enemy is not flesh and blood. There's something deeper that you're fighting, which allows you to actually fight evil without demonizing people. And it's crucial and it's wise and thoughtful engagement against evil in the world. Because there is true and real evil in the world, but when we understand that there's spiritual evil that lies behind that, it allows us to fight evil without hating people. It really is possible to hate sin and to love sinners if we rightly understand the Bible's view of evil. It is possible for us to say this morning that we want to see Planned Parenthood put out of business, but at the same time, to not hate the people and to not hate the individuals who work there. To not demonize the people, but rather to pity them, to pray for their conviction, to pray for their conversion, and to pray that they would come to see the evil that they're participating in. The people, the individuals, are not the enemy, but rather there's a deeper and a more real and spiritual enemy. Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces that lie behind and underneath the evil that we see in the world. I want you to notice how verse 12 highlights the strength of the enemy. Notice all the terms that the Apostle Paul uses there. He says, war is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, Bible commentators aren't even sure what the difference is between all of those terms. They're not even sure if there's just subtle nuances. What's a ruler, an authority, a spiritual force of evil? But what's abundantly clear is that the writer Paul is piling up terms to help us see the complexity of the enemy that we fight. To help you see that the devil is powerful, the devil is strong, that there is a hierarchy of evil spirit beings who do the bidding of Satan, opposing God's will, the will of God on earth. There's layers of complexity. There's categories to his forces and his ways and how he works. And see, one of the uh, keys to effectively fighting the devil is to have an appropriately complex understanding of the enemy. We need to see that there's a complexity to spiritual evil so we recognize that we are way in over our heads, that we can't possibly fight this enemy alone, that we cannot possibly defeat this enemy because we need God's help. We need the grace of God. To depend on him, we need the strength of God because the enemy is strong. So we need to see the schemes of the enemy. We need to see the strength of the enemy. Now thirdly, finally, we need to see how to stand against the enemy. We're actually going to talk a lot more about this next week, so I encourage you to come back. We want to get into some of the finer realities of questions such as 
how do I know when I'm experiencing attack from Satan? Or questions like, how do I know when a temptation is coming from Satan versus when a temptation is coming from myself? Or when it's coming from the world around me? We're going to get into some of those fine-grained details next week. We're going to get into some of those. But what I want you to see this week is the key that gives this text, uh, the, the text gives to us, to defeat the devil. And it's repeated uh, multiple times in the text. We see it in verse 11. We see it in verse 13. And it's the word stand. Stand. That's the key to stand. Every boxer or wrestler will tell you that it all begins with your stands. If you want to be an effective fighter, you have to develop the right stands, the right posture. Now, by a show of hands, has anybody here wrestled either in junior high or high school? I, I think we have some wrestlers and our, some of our students and some of the Zollinger boys wrestle. Um, I used to a little bit when I was way younger. My wife says it doesn't count. I always say it still does. But proper stance is the first thing that they teach you as a young wrestler because it's key to three things, stability, defense, and attack. The higher you go in competitive wrestling, the more important positioning becomes. So the better wrestler you are, the better wrestlers that you're facing, the more important your stance becomes. Isn't that unusual? It's not about your skills and developing better technique. It's primarily about the importance of your stance. So how do you defeat the devil? Stand. It's possible for us, very possible for us, to read this passage and get all caught up in the armor of God stuff which is really fascinating, and we could do a whole sermon series on that alone, right? What is the shield of faith? What is the sword of the Spirit? What is the breastplate of righteousness, etc.? It's very possible for us to get fascinated with all of that and completely miss the baseline command of this text, which is to stand. We could talk about how this passage emphasizes the Word of God in fighting Satan, how the passage emphasizes the role of the Spirit of God in fighting Satan, how the passage ends up talking about prayer and how important a vibrant prayer life is to fighting Satan. But listen to me, none of that stuff matters if you don't get the foundational thing right. None of that stuff matters if you're not standing. If you're in a fighting stance, then you're ready for spiritual conflict. Then guess what? If you're expecting a fight, you're in a fighting stance. Now what do you want to know? What weapons do I have at my disposal, right? What tools do I have to fight this battle? So now that I'm in a fighting stance, I'm actually interested in knowing the word and how that gives me a tool to defeat the enemy. Now that I'm actually interested in knowing about prayer and how that becomes a strategy for fighting against the enemy, now I actually know what it means to have a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. If I'm in a fighting stance, I'm going to learn all that stuff. I'm going to want to know about all that stuff. But if we're laying on the couch, it doesn't matter how many weapons we have. If we're not ready to use them. So stand. That's the first and most foundational thing in fighting the devil. One of the great heroes of the early uh, Christian church, a 4th century man, he was named uh, John Chris Austin. It, I like to say John Chris Awesome. But here's what he wrote as he reflected on this text, and he taught it to his congregation. 
He says, the man who in a true sense stands is upright. He stands not in a lazy attitude, not leaning upon anything. Exact uprightness discovers itself by the way of standing. So that they who are perfectly upright, they stand. But they who do not stand cannot be upright, but are unstrung and disjointed. The luxurious man does not stand upright, but is bent. So is the lewd man, the lover of money. He who knows how to stand will from his very standing, as from a sort of foundation, find every part of the conflict easy to him. You see, John Chrysostom, he says that it is true, that this was true in his day, this is also true in our day as well. For some of us, we're not standing, but we're bent over because of a life of luxury. For some of us, we're not standing, but we're bent over in lewdness. For some of us, we're not standing, we're bent over in pursuit of all kinds of false gods. And so you know what's happening? We are getting clobbered by the devil. We're getting killed by the devil. We're getting our teeth kicked in because we're not ready for the fight. And so what then happens is that we're not a threat to any sort of evil in the world. In fact, we might be furthering the evil in the world because no demon on earth is actually scared of you. Why? Because you're not standing. So the first and most foundational thing that we have to do in conflict against the devil is to stand, to get in a fighting stance, to be prepared and ready for the fight that is coming because you're a Christian and because the devil hates Jesus Christ. Stand. We'll talk more about this and all the various state, uh, strategies of the devil and what he uses, and we'll begin to see how to become wise in his schemes. But the first step in defeating the devil is to stand. Having said that, I don't want to leave this text this morning without first drawing your attention to verse 10. The beginning of this passage says, Finally, be strong in who? In the Lord. And then, whose mighty power? The Lord's. See, you and I don't stand in our own strength. It's not our might, it's not our power that we stand, it's His might, it's His power. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. The good news of the gospel is that you can stand because Jesus stood for you. You can stand against the devil. You, can, you have the power to defeat the devil because Jesus stood for you. Listen to me. When we talk about the work of Jesus, when we talk about the gospel, we don't just mean his forgiveness of our sin. We also mean that when we're united to Christ, Jesus gives us his righteousness. His perfect obedience gets counted as ours. The benefits of his obedient life becomes ours. Some of you might remember in Luke chapter 4, especially if you've been in Rich's Sunday school, uh, they're in the Gospel of Luke, but in Luke chapter 4, Satan comes to tempt the Lord Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus has been fasting, and so he's hungry, and, the, and, and Satan comes and he says, hey Jesus, how about you turn these stones into bread? I know you can do that. And then Jesus answers him by saying, man does not live by bread alone. And then he takes him up and he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth and he says, Jesus, I'll give you all of this if you'll worship me. And then Jesus says to the devil, you shall worship the Lord alone and serve him only. 
And then Satan takes Jesus to a high place on the temple and he says, hey, if you throw yourself down from here, the angels will catch you. Satan has a wise and shrewd and cunning enemy. He, he quotes scripture to Jesus. And he says, hey, doesn't the Psalms say that he will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone? Isn't that what the Bible says, Jesus? And then Jesus says to Satan, it also says that you shall not put the Lord your God to test. And it says, having defeated Satan, Satan left him, left Jesus until an opportune time. See, Jesus was victorious over the temptations and the attacks of Satan. He was obedient. He was he defeated Satan, not only in his life, but in his victorious death and his resurrection. So you and I can stand against the devil because Jesus stood in our place for us and on our behalf. We don't stand in our strength. We don't stand in our clever ability to apply the truth of Scripture. We stand in the confidence in what Jesus has done on our behalf. And in confidence and in presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, to actually give us what we need to fight Satan, to resist the devil, to avoid and resist temptation. You and I can stand in his strength and in the power of his might because he stood in our place. So let's ask him for the grace to do that. Would you pray with me? Well, Jesus, we celebrate this morning your victory over Satan. And Lord, we just confess to you, we acknowledge our own skepticism. It can be hard for some of us to grasp the reality of the supernatural evil, the spiritual attack. For some of us, it's hard for us to recognize that he even exists in the first place. So God, would you let the clarity of Scripture break in on us this morning? Would you unmask the power of darkness for us? Lord, help us to see the schemes of the devil, the strength of the devil, and help us to stand against the devil. Lead us from temptation, deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.